It is good to be here this morning. Thank you for your uh, welcome and your attention, and we're looking forward to being here. Uh, we have been looking forward, rather, to being here. We are from Gray, Tennessee, and uh, we live over in the northeast part, almost to North Carolina, and uh, so we are glad to be over here, just uh, on the other side, and uh, we've got some uh, students. I, I, I didn't want to embarrass her, but now I've already, Elizabeth Farmer's from our church, and so she's here somewhere. I hope she is. If not, she's in trouble, because uh, we'll call her out, and then she won't raise her hand, and then the faculty will know, so... But uh, it, is, uh, it is a joy to get to be here this morning. Anybody from Tennessee other than Elizabeth? Hi, Faith. Nice to see you. Yeah. Anyone else? Well, boy, I hope you understand the language. Thank you. Thank you from Tennessee. So, well, it is a joy to be here. And uh, we'll get started here in just a moment. You're an exciting time in your life. I got to fellowship just a little bit with uh, Dr. R back there and I uh, got to fellowship with Brother Shetler, and then, of course, Brother Miss Weaver are friends of ours from a long ago, and we thank God for them. We have a kindred Tennessee connection there, and so uh, it's a joy just to get to connect with some people who we've known, but then I got to meet some over at the, uh, over at the bookstore at the Rebels Building the, um, uh, this morning, and so it's just fun to get to meet folks. I hope to get to meet many of you afterwards, and we'll be around, I think, for lunch, and uh, I want to tell you, it's a joy to get to be seeing folks that are preparing for ministry, and uh, I'm trying to think of different things to say so I don't say the same thing every pastor does when he comes in. But listen, young folks, it's wonderful to be preparing for God's work. Don't let the naysayers, when they say, oh, man, I'd hate to be in ministry in this day and age. You know what I say to those people? I'd hate for you to be in ministry in these day and age as well with that kind of attitude. This is a wonderful time to serve God. Sure, the world hates you, and sure, the devil's fighting, but he always has, and the world never has liked you. Just because we had a little season there where it was a little bit more acceptable doesn't mean that now is the most exciting time to serve God. So please don't get the idea that uh, now because somehow the world's got so bad and God didn't realize it was going to get like this, it kind of snuck up on him. You understand that, as the old preacher said, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? He's known how it was going to be forever back that way, and he knows forever that way. And so the Lord knew when you were going to be preparing, and he knew when you were going to be living, and he's given you this opportunity to give your life for the service of God. You say, Brother John, I may not be full-time ministry. That doesn't matter what you are uh, in that regard. As long as you're following the Lord, what matters is that we're a full-time Christian, that we serve the Lord with all of our heart. And if, if financial gain comes because of it, because you go on staff at a church, praise the Lord. If that's not the, the way that God has you be a bivocational pastor, as my dad was for many years, then praise the Lord for that. He preached, he worked at a, a, a chemical plant through the week and then preached and got ready for things on the weekend. So whatever God does, but I'm challenging you to get out from underneath that rock of depression and that woe is me attitude, if anybody has it, and just say, 2021 is going to be a great time to continue preparing for what God has for me. And if you don't have that attitude, I'm challenging you to get that attitude. And uh, if you have trouble with that, be around someone like Brother Shetler. He always is an encouragement to do those kind of things. And so it's exciting. I think about life. It's a funny thing. All of you are preparing for the ministry. You're 17, 18, 19, 20, 20. Funny about life. Now, you remember back for a few years, the same like when you're 12, just takes forever to get to be 13. Didn't it feel like you were 12 and you were 12 and you were 12 and you were 12 and you were 12? And finally, you got to be 13, which was the dream of your life. You got to be 13, which I don't know why you want it so bad because then pimples and zits and all that other stuff came along. But finally, you're 13. And then I've got a daughter that last week turned 15. 
And uh, in Tennessee, you're able to get your learner's permit at 15, but not your full license till later. And so it seemed like when I was growing up, you're 15 and you're 15 and you're 15 and you're 15 and you're 15 because I wanted desperately to be 16 because I was tired of riding with my sister. I wanted to ride, drive a car by myself. 15 and 15 and 15. Finally, you got to be 16. And then 17, I thought, well, I want to be 18. So you're 17, you're 17, 17. See, like it takes for years to get out of that age. And then you're 18 finally. And then you turn around, you're, old, you're as old as Brother Weaver. <laughs> it happens like that. They speed up really quick. And uh, so life is a funny thing, though. You know, you're finding young, you're finding, hopefully you're finding a mate. I never thought you had to say it like this. But if you're a guy, you want to find a girl. If you're a girl, you ought to find a guy. You know, you do the opposite of what you are. And it's amazing, you're trying to find that one, and you think, oh, he's so wonderful. Not really. You know, you say, oh, he's so handsome, he's so, he's so wonderful. That one fellow said, you remember, got to remember that, that that hunk that you're looking at eventually becomes a chunk because <laughs> gravity happens to him. You know, the Incredible Hulk becomes the Incredible Bulk. So ladies, <laughs> be careful who you're going to date and, uh, and make sure that uh, he's what you want. You know, they say that uh, beauty is only skin deep. But ugly goes all the way to the bone. So be sure that you get the one that God has for you. And this, all jokes aside, make sure you get one that loves God all the way through. Because beauty sure is fading. Now, please don't misunderstand. All of us like to have it. But it sure is fading. So find somebody who's wanting to do God's will all the way through and serving the Lord. And um, it's just a wonderful thing. How many of you are pastor's kids in here? Your dad is a pastor. Full-time, part-time, whatever. Praise the Lord. Amen. I've, I've got three, past, three kids, all of them pastor's kids, of course. Obviously, you can do the math there. That's the way it works. If your uh, dad is a pastor, you're a pastor's kid. And so um, I heard about this uh, pastor that he went to the pet store, and they sold insects, they sold bugs, they sold uh, spiders and, and roaches and mice and all that. He said, I'll take 600 spiders, 45 colonies of ants, 2,000 roaches, and 43 mice. And the guy said, well, I can do it. I tell you, I've never had a request like that, but I can perform. I can make it happen. He said, but as he's getting all this stuff ready, he said, I just have one question. Why do you want all this stuff? He said, well, I've been called to a new church, and the deacons told me to make sure I left the parsonage just exactly like I found it, so I want to do my part. Listen, when I throw you a, throw a slow softball pitch across the plate, folks, I want you to swing at it because the jokes don't get much better from here. Why don't you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. While you're finding your place there in Exodus chapter 3, I did hear, speaking of pastors, I did about this pastor that he did a funeral for this homeless guy and the funeral home called him and said, hey, why don't you do this? There won't be anybody there because nobody knew him. Nobody unfortunately cared about him. Why don't you do that? And the pastor said, you know, everybody deserves a good funeral. Everybody deserves something to be honored in their life. And so he knew a fellow that was a musician. He said, would you come and go with me? You provide the special music. I'm going to preach the message. And so he said, I will. I'll meet you there. Well, the guy, the musician was coming and he was... And the, the, the musical instrument he brought was bagpipes. And so he came and the pastor told him where to meet him at. And so he met him there, uh, but he got lost. And he was trying to find his way to the cemetery and got lost. And uh, it was now 20 minutes and 30 minutes and 40 minutes. And finally, an hour and 15 minutes, he found the place. There it is. So he was told it was a little country cemetery, no, no many graves around anyways. But he finally saw the side of the road. So he yanked his car off there, got his bagpipes, ran to the hole. And the guys were already filling it over. These old rednecks, they were filling that hole in, filling that grave in. And so he said, listen, I was here to play the bagpipes. I want to give honor to whom honor is due. 
would you mind if you just stepped aside and let me play for a little while? And they said, we don't care. Spit their tobacco out. We don't care. Go ahead. And this, that guy just played a beautiful rendition of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me on those bagpipes. And all of it was good. And, and it was just moving. And those guys that were filling in that hole, they thought, oh, the tears were streaming down their face at all. And that guy could tell he was getting it. You know, when you, if, if you're a preacher boy, you know, when you're preaching and somebody gets it, it's like, whoa. Now, listen, it doesn't always happen that way. One pastor of mine said, man, John, I go to the, sometimes go to the office and I get off the platform as quick as I, I can. I feel like I've laid an a, a, a egg so bad that you could hatch twin dinosaurs out of it. I just want to get out of the pulpit and get off to the side. But this, thing, this bagpipe player, he was, he was getting it. And those guys were moving, tearing up. And he finished up and he said, oh, amen. And those guys walked over that were filling in that grave, that he thought was filling that grave. And they walked back over there and they said, said Bubba, I've been, filled, I've been digging septic systems for 30 years. I've never seen anything so beautiful as what that guy did over this septic system. So more of that story, if you're a musician, make sure you get to the cemetery, not to, the, uh, not, not to where they're digging a septic t- system. So, all right, here we go. Exodus chapter 3. The Bible says in verse number 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go into Pharaoh. This is that story. This is the one you're thinking of. Moses comes off, comes over. The bush won't burn. The, the bush just continues to burn. God says, put your shoes off this holy ground. And now God is talking to Moses. And he says unto him, Moses, or after God tells Moses what to do, Moses says in verse 11, and Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What's his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me Unto you. And I want to preach for just a little while. It's such a familiar passage, and sometimes you wrestle around. I brought some other messages as well, uh, about going to be about like Barney Fife. You know, have one bullet in your gun, you know, one bullet for your gun, just pull it out. And if I find out from one of the good staff that, well, hey, somebody just preached on that, well, too bad, I'm preaching again. So, but I did bring some other ones, but this seemed to be where the Lord is leading me to preach. And all of us come to these ledges, we'll call them this morning. You come to a place where you're ready to launch off. We, we changed our auditorium, we were remodeling it, and so we did put it out in the gym, and, and uh, so the, the platform was a little bit different, so I got preaching one morning, and about went over, you know, the ladies in the front, were, oh. and then the kids are about, ooh, yeah, this will be interesting, this will be fun, <laughs> make service memorable. I heard of a fellow that, he, you know, I've always heard these preachers say, I want to die in the pulpit, I want to die in the pulpit. Well, finally, I heard the first story about somebody that did. Of course, it traumatized everybody who was in the service. The preacher, I want to die in the pulpit, I want to die in the pulpit. I said, well, what about the people who are sitting there? They're going to have to go to counseling because they saw somebody drop dead right there behind the pulpit and haul them out. Well, we're going to look at this being on a ledge. And many of you are at that point in your life where you're ready to launch out. I talked to some guys this morning, freshmen, 
Oh, to one guy that came here as a freshman, or came as a sophomore, finished up, and now is on staff. And I've talked to, tried to talk to several that are launching out to do something, even for the summer. You're talking about doing the Jewish outreach. Some friends of ours, did, their children did that as well. And a, a great opportunity, wears you flat out and just uh, uh, uses you up. And, and, uh, and just for the Lord and the glory of God, you've got an opportunity. You've got this ledge that you say, well, I want to do that. And as I was joking about, some of you are thinking that you found the one that you're supposed to marry. You talk about a ledge, you're going to launch off on this one fellow said uh, he had his kids and he said dad I heard that in some cultures the man doesn't know his wife until he gets married he looked at him grabbed him by the shoulder said son that's every culture <laughs> as you get married you understand that somebody said listen guys find a girl you love her hair color because after you get married there'll be tons and tons of it all around your house I have my wife got two daughters, and so there's hair on the floors everywhere. It finds its way out the laundry room, into the kitchen, into the everywhere. Uh, we have three. We have one, our firstborn, he's 20, and we have a redhead, the 18-year-old, and she's, and we have one that's 15-year-old. So guys, just keep that in mind as you're looking for a girl. Find one that you like her hair color. But you think about having kids one of these days, getting married and serving God and launching out and doing things, and you're at that ledge. You're going to have to remember something. You're going to have to remember who sent you out there. Sometimes I tell Amy, remind me how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> because I know that I'm strong in making this decision. But later, the doubts and the uh, disputations and the worries and the fears and the anxiety is going to come. So remind me how I feel right now. That's not about marriage. I've never regretted that one. But remind me how I feel when we're ready to do this and God's giving, as one old preacher said, never undo in doubt what you did in faith. They have all these quaint little sayings. But I said, remind me because we've, we've been to the ledge several times and want to jump off. We came to our church in one year ago and uh, we, we, we serve at the oldest Baptist church in Tennessee. Started before Tennessee was a state and uh, Shubal Stern's revival that was had over in North, North Carolina. One of the fellows shot off a guy named Tidens Lane. He came over to our church and started, or came over where our church is and started. And I told Amy, I said, we came right before COVID. And uh, so, you know, I'm a redneck from West Virginia. And I'm thinking people will start talking. We're going to shut these churches down. We're going to have to go to online. So I'm not, not the government. We're going to have to go online. And I said, well, not us. We're too good a Christians. Gates of hell won't prevail against the church. We're going to shut the doors. And then two weeks later, we went online. <laughs> so, so much for that big courage. But we came a year ago. And that's a ledge. 20 years ago, we had a child, and that was a ledge. And um, so, some years before that, we were married. And many of you are at those stage in your life. You're making some of the best decisions, or worse, but the biggest decisions, at least, in your entire life. And I want you to remember something, if you would, as I've got just a few minutes to tell you. I want you to remember the title is Who's Sending You? And once you think about this, decisions that you're going to make. Some of you will, all jokes aside, be choosing a mate. Some of you will be praying for God's will for your life and you think you found him or you think you found her. And I, I pray that if, it, if he's not the one that God will show you quickly and I pray if she's not the one God will show you quickly so you can find the one that is because some of you are thinking, man, I'm a, I'm a senior. I got to find him quick. Listen, don't get desperate. Better not to have one. Um, better, better want one, not have one than to have one, not want him. So make sure that you do it the right way. Be like that one fellow, he said, man, I married, she was Mrs. Wright. 
She's Miss Wright then, now she's Mrs. Wright. She said, oh, I was so happy. She said, oh, Miss Wright's going to be my wife. She said, I just did not know that her first name was always. <laughs> I'm noticing the crowd. You've got to let you catch up to me. Maybe it's the delay in the microphone. I get it. Or maybe it's at 9 o'clock in the morning. But you're ready to launch off that ledge. I want you to remember a few things, three of them, as a matter of fact, of who's sending you. Children, marriage, job, ministry. Moses is over there tending sheep. You remember the story on the backside of the desert for his father-in-law, just mind his own business. The bush, bush won't burn, and he finally turns aside, and God speaks to him out of that. And then as God speaks to him and says, I'm going to send you unto Pharaoh, he says, what? Now, remember, Moses knows well how things go in Pharaoh's house or in Pharaoh's court when Pharaoh doesn't want to hear what the people in his court are saying. And so Moses knows good and well that it's not going to be favorable for him. And how many of you understand when Moses realized that I'm going to take this message to Pharaoh, I'm going to tell Pharaoh that, hey, your whole labor force, I'm going to move, remove them from you. You won't have anybody to do these things that Moses is pro or that Pharaoh is probably not going to say, oh, okay, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. He knows it's going to be met with resistance. And so Moses is very apprehensive. So I see Moses' apprehension here in verse number 11 when he says, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? We see Moses' apprehension. Basically, we have Moses saying, Are you sure? And some of us are saying those same things. God, are you sure? I think you're talking about so-and-so. Or the other, the old analogy, or the old saying, who, me? And can I say it kindly? If it's not you, who? If you that's getting trained at a Bible college, you that's getting trained at a place, getting the Bible poured into you, getting spirituality trying to pour into you, if, if you're not going to go change the world, then who? So don't be surprised when God sneaks up on you, so to speak, and knocks on your heart's door and says, I'd like for you to do this. And you say, God, it looks like you've got me at the ledge again. Now, it seems like, God, you want me to jump off. And God says, mm-hmm. You know why it seems like that? Because I do. And he says to Moses, I want you to go, and I want you to be the one that goes to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him, we got a load of people going out. But Moses' apprehension keeps him from immediately jumping onto that scenario and saying, I'll buy into that. Herman Boone was the, in 1971, the African-American coach of T.C. Williams High School football team. He was the one that went 13-0. The Disney movie was made about his life, how true it was or not, I'm not sure. But he was the guy. But this task that he had was above his ability so here he's got into a, a school that's integrated and they've got people that don't want to be there and people that, quite frankly, don't want them there. They've got folks that used to be in schools that were uh, educated separately and now they're forcing them together and, uh, and good to get away from all of the, uh, the, the, the garbage of treating one person better than another. So that's not my intent. That certainly should never be in a Christian's mentality. But here's the problem that Herman Boone had. Folks that loved him or knew him for years and then folks that now are just meeting him in a new position can't stand him. 
Some because he pays too much attention to the color of his skin. And some people say you're not paying enough attention to the color of his skin. Some people are saying you don't start the boys that used to be started. And some say you shouldn't start those. And he couldn't, as the old saying go, he couldn't win for losing. But here was a guy that was, this is just a secular illustration. He was tasked with a job that was above his ability. But through perseverance, he went on. Now, friend, I'm not telling you that you need to go coach a high school or that you need to go make something. And I have no idea about his personal life. This is not my reason for saying that. But what I do want to say is I want to bring this illustration home to you to say that you and I, if we're not finding things that are too hard for us to do, then can I quite frankly say you're not shopping in the right store? Because if everything that you go to do in life on this year and the next and the next, if everything that you can do handily and you can do easily, then I would suggest to you your scope is not big enough. Because God wants all of us to go and do those things that without him we could not be able to do. My friend, I see the apprehension of Moses, but I not only see the apprehension of Moses, but I see the apprehension of many of young folks like you that say, Brother John, I know God wants me to, but I don't know if I'm the guy. Well, don't feel bad. Moses thought the same thing, and we see the apprehension. Some people, as I deal with them as being a pastor, some people it's the apprehension of, of uh, overcoming an addiction. Some people you scare the heebie-bejeebies out of them, whatever those are. You scare those out of them when you ask them to take a bus route and you ask them to work in a Sunday school class or you ask them to take a group of young people or senior citizens. But my friend, I understand the apprehension. It's common with Moses. It's common with other Bible characters. And quite frankly, it resides in these pews this morning. I see the apprehension of Moses in verse 11, but I want you to look in verse number 12 as we make our way down through here. We see the apprehension of Moses in verse 11, but we see the assurance of God in verse 12. Sure. Moses says, I don't think I can do it. God, you know my roommate is much more talented than I. As if we schooled God. We see the assurance of God in verse number 12. And he said, certainly, I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God says, Moses, you're going to see this place again. But next time, you'll be doing a different task. Next time, you'll be getting some instructions. Next time, you'll be worshiping upon this mountain. Amy and I, one of the things we love to do as a pastor is go to the homes, if we can, or hospitals, but hospitals have been a little bit uh, challenging in the last year, but go to the homes of, of our members that have little ones, just have a baby. And so uh, you go and take them a little Bible, a pink one if they're a girl. You know what color if it's a boy? Gotcha. You are a quick group. Thank you. And I uh, take them a little pink Bible, a little blue Bible, pray with them, take them some food, and do just, we love doing that. And one thing that we told a couple the other day, we were stand, sitting in their uh, living room, I told him, I said, about what I told you all about serving God. But I said, when people say to you, oh, I'm glad I'm not. Oh, man, I'm glad I'm not raising kids today. I would say to them, I'm glad you're not either. And they'll say, oh, it's a wicked world out there. Sure it is. Dark of the night, the bright of the light. It's, and I, said, I told these, this couple, I said, don't listen to that. 
Because if God gave you a little one in the midst of the world in which we live, then God's going to give you the ability. He's going to give you the sight. He's going to give you the vision. He's going to give you the wherewithal to see that little one grow up, love God, serve God, while you love and serve God in front of them. My friend, I'm giving you this thing that God says, certainly, I'm going to be with you. And if you, don't, if you aren't happy when God walks through the dark valley with you, then t- pray tell me, what is it that we want? We want our college buddy to go with us all the way through the ministry. Well, listen, your college buddy's not going to be there. And you, quite honestly, your dad's not going to be there or your pastor or anybody else. But God says, certainly I will be with thee. And my young friend this morning, take this promise from God and take it to heart in your life that if you've got God with you, then hell can burp out whatever it wants and God will see you through it. I'm not saying you won't go unscathed. I'm not saying that you won't go uh, have some issues. I'm not saying I won't trip over this block back here. I'm not saying you won't have difficulties, but I'm saying that God was not, he's not partial to Moses more than he's partial to you. If he would be with him, he will be with you. And the assurance of God goes with you through whatever may come our way. And my friend, I'm saying let's launch out for God's glory. The story is told of Napoleon. He's reviewing his troops. He's up on a horse. And his horse lunges somewhat to the peril of Napoleon. And a private in the army who knew something about horses jumped out of line, which he was not supposed to do, and grabbed the front, the mouth, the bridle of the horse and steadied him to the settling down of his his rider, Napoleon. Napoleon looked at this young private and he said to him, today, he touched his hat, today I make you captain of the guard. Now to a private in the army, he says, well, sounds good to me. I'll take it. And so he moves to the position after Napoleon rides down just a few paces. He moves to the position of the captain of the guards. And then one of the other high-ranking uh, officers in the army, he looks at this private who he knows well. He looks at this private in this position he's not supposed to be in. And he looks at him and says, what are you doing here? And he grabs his uniform and says, I'm captain of the guard. He says, no, you won't go back. He says, no, I'm captain of the guard. He said, you? Yes. He said, who said? And he looked down the ranks as the ruler was on the horse. He said, him. And because the order came from a person superior than the one giving the private a hard time, then the order stood. My friend, we don't have any orders that come from higher than the Almighty. And so when God moves upon your heart to do something, where God guides you, he will comfort you and provide for you and lead you and be there with you. I see not only the apprehension of Moses, but I see the assurance. God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's a warranty that you can't outdo. We were buying something at Walmart the other day, and I think we only paid like $12 for it. And the lady at the checkout said, you want to buy a service plan for that, which I always say no. But I, out of curiosity, well, how much is it? It was, a, I think, a $12 item for the service plan. It was $8 for two years. I was like, well, I wasn't a math major. But chances are this is going to last past that. I'm going to pay three-fourths of the price of the product in a, in, a, um, in a warranty that probably I will have to argue for three hours on the phone to try to get you to, uh, to honor the warranty, so I'll pass. But we all like warranties. 
If you buy, buy a brand new car, you get a three-year, 36 miles of miles, or five years, uh, 50,000, whatever. We all like warranties. But I can tell you about the warranty that supersedes all other warranties when God says, I'll be with thee. I will never leave thee for, nor forsake thee as we were able to. Another joy, my wife says, is weird, and another joy we had to get to do as pastors is, is help families in the difficult time of a passing of a loved one. We've got the promise that God says, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. You get a warranty from Chevrolet Motor, GM Motors, that's, that's not bad. That company is large enough, is stable enough to fulfill the warranty work on your vehicle. You get a warranty from a Maytag washing machine for a year. That company, again, is large enough to fulfill the warranty work that they owe you. But my friends, you've never seen the ability to do warranty work until you've watched God fulfill his promises when he says, what I order, I'll pay for. What I lead you to, I'll guide you all the way. When, when the dark times comes, I will be with you. So you have no fear of jumping off that ledge because God says, even though your apprehension is real, even though your nervousness is sincere and may be founded, but God says your apprehension is not superseded by my assurance because God says, where I lead you, I will comfort you, I will guide you, I will provide for you, I will walk with you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you and God says by my grace I will get you to the other side and so we see the apprehension but it's certainly overcome by the assurance that God gives and so my young friend as you are launching out to do something some of you seniors some of your juniors some of your freshmen you think it's going to be forever till I get there but wherever it is that you come I challenge you get all that you can get can it up really good, serve the Lord and realize that where God puts his hand upon you to lead you, God will not leave you comfortless. Let me show you one more thing before we get done. Moses said unto God, who am I? He apprehension. Verse number 12, God says, I'm going to be with you. In our modern vernacular, God says, I got your back. I don't bring down the scripture, but that's what I mean. I got you. I got you. You ever played that game where you tell somebody to lean back and you and your friend, you, you, you take them there? You ever also play that game and you go ahead and step apart, step apart when that person was counting on you? You're a real friend, I can tell you that. But you can assure, God gives assurance, I got your back. And then look on down, verse number 14. We see verse number 12, he says, certainly I'll be with you. And then Moses asked the question again. Now, listen, this is, this is Moses' first objections to God. You say, wait a minute, didn't he say he was slow of speech and God chose wrong? Yeah, but that comes a, a couple more chapters over, another, another chapter or so. But we see there, verse 13, he says, ah, God, I'm not so sure. And when I get there, tell me what I'm supposed to say when they say, oh, yeah, big boy, who sent you? Then God gives the answer. And so we see the answer to the people that Moses is going to give. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. I am that I am. I'm that one. I am the one. I am that I am. He said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel. So you getting ready? 
So the answer to the people after the assurance that God gives to Moses based on his apprehension, the answer that God gives to Moses to give to the people is, just tell them I sent you. Tell them I am. And so the answer to the people is that you and I are just messenger boys anyways or messenger girls. And so when the folks don't like the message, and could I say this, when the folks do like the message, my pastor always says, John, don't give too much to criticism or compliments. Compliments get you puffed up. Criticism gets you brought low. Take what they say, digest it a little bit, and then go on for the glory of God. Preach for his glory. And so we understand that the answer to the people is, I am that I am. And so when people ask you, and listen, I know it's going to happen. Listen, we're in... Um, we're, we're, we're here at the beginning of the year, you know, you know, this calendar year. You don't have much longer until this summer break. Now, unfortunately, you have to go through purgatory, the finals, before you get there. Sorry, that's inappropriate, isn't it, Brother Shetler? I'm sorry. Forgive me, please, Father. <laughs> you have to go through that before you get to summer, so don't get all excited. I mean, that's coming. But it won't be long until summer break is here. And you know this, you're going to have folks at your church... Now, tell me what again you're doing. <laughs> you graduated from our school and Josh went to UT to study, um, to, to study business. So-and-so went over there for accounting. Now, how are you going to pay for this stuff? I mean, this is as real as it gets, folks. Because you're going to have one group, your pastor... Oh, man, how was it at West Coast? How was it at Bible College? Isn't that great? Isn't it, isn't it lovely? You, st you sit up late and, and as if you don't get enough preaching on the weekends from Brother Chapel and your Sunday school teacher and your prayer bands. And then some dorm leader is stupid enough to think you want to hear preaching at 11 before devotion, before, for devotions. And your pastor's like, oh, man, isn't it wonderful? And you got little Miss Betty down the, down the aisle. She said, now, what is it you're doing in life? I don't understand that. You're going to have to have an answer. And the best answer that you can have is, well, God's leading me to do. And you may not know what the, what the final answer is. God's leading me to be. <clears throat> like this one, this one girl said, well, I'm, I'm, I want to be a missionary. And the pastor said, that's good. I want to be a missionary to the indigenous people. And she named it all the way down through there. And he says, now, I would challenge you to back off that just a little bit. Because you've described a pretty specific guy you're looking for. That means if somebody is a missionary to that indigenous people who have been uh, uh, misplaced by this and they do suffer with this and this and this and this, if that guy's dog ugly, you still got to take him because that's all that's coming. He said, so I'd recommend you back that back just a little bit and say, I want to be a missionary. And then you got more choices. Maybe there'll be a handsome guy that comes through and wants to be a missionary. Yeah, I can, I can live with his field. That's just a little philosophy for you there to accept but you back to my story, you've got these folks at your church who say, now, tell me again what you're doing. Because they understand you going to UT, University of Tennessee. They understand you going to the community college to get a business degree. Because their mind is, in, is not in ministry necessarily. They understand that you're going to get a teaching degree to teach at uh, the, the secular high school. They understand that because that's in their realm. That's in their wheelhouse. That's in their thinking. But they don't understand when somebody crazy enough like you says, I'm going to go to a Bible college. Oh, what are you going to do when you get out? I don't know. 
Oh, you're going to train. You're going to, you're going to go train to be something specific? Yeah, I'm going to be, go train to be a specific servant of God. <laughs> and so when those times do come, as Moses was preparing himself for what he was going to tell the people, you may have to prepare yourself for what you're going to tell the people. And Moses is the God, the advice God gave Moses was better than any other advice. And that is God told Moses, you just tell them when you get down there, you tell them I am that I am. And so since I am that I am, then you tell them I am sent you. And so you, that one that's training for whatever God has for you, and that person doesn't understand what you're doing, you say, I'm just preparing for whatever God wants me to do. That's a good answer. I know the person you graduated the Christian school from, or in your homeschool group, wherever it was, or, or public school, wherever you came from, I know that their path seems a little bit more defined. But can you give you a little secret? They don't know what they're doing either. They just had to, put, they had to declare a major, so they put it on their paperwork. And you may be a little in limbo, so to speak, but you tell that person, God wants my life, and I am preparing to serve God. The answer to the people is, I'm just serving the Lord. Let me give you one more illustration, then I'll quit. As a pastor, one of the, one of the things I enjoy doing, I've told you several, but one of them I enjoy doing is funerals. And just because you get to meet so many folks and they really need a pastor at that point. But one of, the, one of the things that I thrill in is when I have a military funeral and there'll be a couple of guys, usually sometimes ladies, but a couple of guys will take that flag that's draped over that casket. You can put your Bibles up, I'm done. This is just a story. They take that flag and they give it a flip and then they step off away from that casket and then they fold it, fold it again, and then they fold it as a triangle. You've seen them all do it, and they probably some that you've seen folded up for, <clears throat> for uh, recognition's sake. But usually the highest-ranking officer or person there, whoever's in, involved in the ceremony, will take that flag, and they'll take it, and they pull it to their chest. And then they take their hand with white gloves, and they make crease that point, and they make sharp that point, and help the top one as well. But then they take that to wherever the widow is sitting, widow, widow, or whichever, and they will take that and they'll say something like this, on behalf of the President of the United States of America, and because of a grateful nation, I present to you this flag. That person has never met the President, knows very few of the people in the nation that they're so grateful for, but they are taking the position to say, I am speaking on behalf of a grateful nation and a commander-in-chief, and I present to you this. Can I tell you what we were training to do at West Coast Baptist College? We are training to represent the God of creation. We are training to proclaim the word of God of all glory. And when folks, we come to them and we share with them the gospel, we share with them the life-changing message, we share with them what will change their eternity, all we are doing is saying, I'm here on behalf of somebody higher than the president. I'm here on behalf of the God of the universe. So when your apprehension gets the best of you, you allow God's assurance to help you 
and you remember the answer that God wants you to give to the people, just tell them, I am sent you.